Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to learn to earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. This week, I've got another guest for you folks. I've been looking to get this guest on my show for quite a while. With us today is Joe Fairless. He is the host of the best ever real estate investing advice ever. Did I goof that up already, Joe? You know what? We, we there can be ton, there can be multiple evers in that. We'll just <laughs> roll with it. I love it. It's the best real estate investing advice ever show. But if you want to throw an extra ever in there, I'm okay with that. It is. I got to tell you, when I was out, out, everybody knows my listeners know I used to work on a ship out in the middle of the ocean. And when I was out on the ship, I used to listen to your show. So I'm a big fan of your show. I've been listening to it for quite a while. You are you're the longest running daily podcast you've done basically for real estate what John Lee Dumas did for entrepreneurship, right? That, that's right. And I was wondering where I can track where the downloads come from. I was wondering where the uh, ocean downloads were coming from because they weren't associated to a country. Now I know you're the guy I was. that's responsible for those ocean downloads. So I appreciate that. And yeah, it is the longest running daily real estate podcast that's out there. Uh, I started doing it uh, two years ago. Haven't missed a day since. Wow. God, two, that, two years every day. That's impressive. I don't think I could keep up with that. That's uh <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So yeah, I enjoy your show. I really do. Thank you. Now I read on your website that you you were actually during college you were a preschool teacher. Yeah, yeah, that was my uh, job as a college student. I I got into it not really intentionally. It was just something that I I needed a job. I needed to make money, and I was running out of options because I couldn't find something. So I ended up applying at a daycare. Because one of my friends, she worked there. Right. And I was like, well, all right, I'll apply. And I got the job. I really enjoyed it. I've been called Mr. Joe by over 100 preschoolers. And I actually, after I graduated college, when I moved from Texas to New York City and I had a, a job in advertising, um, I worked on the weekends to make extra money. Uh, as a quote-unquote manny, um, not a nanny, but a manny. Right. And I uh, worked for two or three years just working on Saturdays and Sundays um, during the day, uh, just earning some extra cash. That's awesome. You know, so when I got started and I did my first cap raise, I used to think, I thought that was pretty cool. I raised half, a little under half a million dollars my first cap raise. And here I, this morning, I read on your site, your first, not that I'm a competitive person, I don't even watch sports, but I think it's cool that your first cap raise for a multifamily deal, you did over a million dollars. You raised over a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was. Were you was, terrified? I was ignorant is what I was. Right. <laughs> I did. I was too, too ignorant to be terrified. Um, I 
but it, it turned out well because when you put yourself in situations where you're forced to grow, you you tend to rise to the challenge if you're surrounded with the right people. Um, and yeah, I ended up raising it was eight hundred and forty three thousand dollars from people who I knew. Uh, and then I brought in the brokers who were on the deal and they brought their put them put in their commission for three hundred and seventeen thousand. Um, so I negotiated that and then uh, we ended up closing on closing on the first deal. It was after I, I had done four single family homes and then I went straight to something over 150 units and uh, haven't looked back since. Recently closed on a 296 unit in Dallas two weeks ago and nice. closing on a 217 unit next Wednesday uh, in Dallas as well. That's awesome. See, I love that. You got now for those of you that missed it. He started with four houses, single-family houses. Well, he probably started with one single-family house, got to four, and then immediately jumped to small cities. <laughs> I think that's so. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's awesome, and that's kind of the way I did it too. I used to flip houses, and uh, we of course went on to the bigger apartment buildings, and, and we haven't looked back since, which is awesome. So I was listening to a podcast. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. It'll come to me. But when I first start, got started in the multifamily space, you know, a lot of people came to me and said or when I would put offers in and letters of intent and whatnot, they, you don't have enough experience. Where's your, where's your schedule of real estate owned? Where's your proper, you know, you don't have any apartment communities. How could you possibly buy real estate, you know, to this, you know, go back to the single family thing and let us know when you grow up. Now I listened yep. to you, you, I believe you're on the invest Florida podcast yep. talking about right, th right there. So I'm going to ask you that question because that it blew me away. I actually pulled over the car and wrote it down. What's the rule book say about the amount of experience that you need to buy apartment buildings? I want your opinion. Well, that's one of the surprising things that I came across. What you is the same thing you came across. I thought that my four single family homes, which I was proud of and still am. I have three of them now. I, I sold one of them, but uh, I still have three. I thought those those purchases would qualify me in the eyes of the the sellers because, hey, I got four homes. You right. Know? I, I worked hard for those homes. I, you're right. I bought the first one. It was $76,000 with um, traditional loan. So I had all in about $20,000 when you factor in closing costs. And then the second one I bought um, I, I, for, I think, like $12,000 out of pocket because I bought it through a loan program that's not around anymore. Um, home path loan is what it was. Oh, yeah. And so I was only 10% down. And then the third one, I paid all cash, but then I did a cash out refinance, got my money back. And the fourth one I bought with a line of credit from American Airlines Credit Union. And I bought that from a wholesaler, all cash. So, you know, I, I felt like, hey, I've, I'm a seasoned vet with sure. real estate investing. <laughs> and, and then I started offering on properties and they're like, okay, well, what's your experience? Like, here it is. You know, I, I came brimming, you know, sure. smiling ear to ear, to ear. And they're like, uh, no, not so much. And in fact, it hurts you because you're a single family guy, not a multifamily. Like, wait a second, what? Yeah. And <laughs> I, so now, you know, for, for listeners who are wanting to get going in multifamily space, there are solutions, my friends. There are solutions, and here are some specific solutions that I've implemented. Uh, one is that you uh, can partner with others. Uh, so, uh, one example that I've done 
with my company is I have partnered with a property management company and they have the track record. Uh, so they've got the, you know, schedule of real estate owned. They also had the balance sheet at the time that we needed uh, from a liquidity and net worth standpoint to get good financing. Oh, there um, you go. And then, yeah, so that's key. So we gave up part of our general partnership. So what that means is we make less money. Sure. But it also allows us to get our track record and get the momentum going. So, you know, that that's one very practical way to get started if you don't have experience is to just have partnerships. And it, it doesn't have to be the property management company. It could be uh, another investor. It could be another group. It could be just a high net worth individual who has a large balance sheet. And so they don't quite care as much about the experience, even though you, you'll likely need to have a really good third party management company to bring that experience and sell that story. Those are a couple ways. Now, the disadvantage to partnering with a property management company on the general partnership side is that you're married to them and divorces are messy, <laughs> especially with business divorces. Uh, so, you know, you could, if things go sour and you've, your general partners with them, then you're still going to be general partners with them, but you likely will have a clause that you can fire them as your management company. But that's just going to be really awkward. I would say. And it's, it's going to be tough when you, when you continue to you know, proceed with the investment without them. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's gonna, it's not gonna, not gonna be as successful, obviously. Right. So, you know, pros and cons to, to everything, but those, those are a couple ways you can get going if you want to get into multifamily. But I believe that in order to get into the large stuff, you should have one of two things, ideally both, but only one of these two is necessary. One is a background or track record in real estate investing, whether it's single family homes or storage units or whatever. The second thing would be a successful track record in business, because I believe the track record in business translates to knowing uh, how to evaluate business plans. And while we're all good at certain things and we're all average at certain things and we all suck at certain things, um, if you're good at business, it's likely that you have identified what you're good at. And so you'll be able to transfer that into real estate and then bring on team members who can compensate for the things you're okay or suck at. There you go. Building a team. That's, that's absolutely it. And I know you endorsed uh, John Carney. I'm in the middle of his book right now. Yep. Uh, real estate is a team sport. I'm going to be having him on the show here in a couple of weeks. Great book. And it goes into that. We'll talk about that in another episode. But you being a multifamily guy, you use syndication as a, as a tool to build your business. Can you give us a, a quick overview kind of what syndication is or what syndication means to you? Everybody has different wordings of what it means to them. So I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. How... Yeah. Really simply, I buy apartment communities with investors and we share in the profits. Now, we've all participated in a syndication, I would I would bet. Uh, because one example of a syndication is when you fly on an airplane from point A to point B because you are likely not the owner of that airplane. Some people might be, but 
most of us are not the owner of that airplane. We're paying a ticket to fly on a plane that costs much, many more dollars than what our ticket is. Plus you include the fuel, plus you include the staff. So we are participating in something much larger than what we can afford or choose to afford if we were to buy it on our own. And we're sharing in the benefits from going point to, from point A to point B. Same thing with syndication on multifamily. We are buying a smaller part of a larger deal so that we can share in the benefits of the larger deal to get us from our financial goal of point A to our financial goal of point B. There you have it. And the most important question that goes right along with that is, everybody asks this, I get this on a regular basis, who's in charge? The general partners, the people who are putting the deal together, the limited partners, the accredited investors who are investing in it passively are not in charge. They are uh, responsible for really just cutting the check and then the general partnership is responsible for everything else. Now, the way to uh, have checks and balances is that there needs to be alignment of interest on the compensation for the general partnership. But w- as a limited partner who is an accredited investor in my, in my uh, deals, they put faith in the general partnership to execute the business plan And not only is there faith, but then there are uh, rewards for the general partnership uh, should and when the business plan is executed how it's initially uh, conceived. Okay. Now, the audience, I talked when I talk to the audience about this sometimes, and I do my cash flow events locally because I do events to meet investors and whatnot. And one of the things that people come up with a lot of time is they they balk at the setup fees and and the legal fees that come to play when you do a syndication or when you bring people together and you want to talk a minute about how important the the having the taxation having the legal team so that the structure is done right i mean how has that worked out for you and some of your deals yeah well if they certainly if they ask a question about it totally understand but if they ask multiple questions about it after it's addressed then they're not the right investor for me there you have it. Uh, it, it i move on no thank you because if someone doesn't see the inherent need of having proper legal documentation uh, and the inherent benefit relative to other type of investing that's out there uh, to, for multifamily syndication, then they're, they're, it's, they're, they're not the right person for a passive investment. It sounds like they would be more fitted for a, an active investment. So perhaps they go find someone to joint venture with and they, they are more active in the deal or perhaps they go find their own deals. Um, the, the passive accredited investors that I work with are looking for something that uh, they can invest in that beats, that's projected to beat the other types of investing that they're doing and is secured by real estate and they don't have the personal liability should something go wrong other than the money that they initially invested. Uh, So I think it's just a matter of finding the right investors. Um, But for someone who has that question, well, there are costs to create the legal documents and the four legal documents in, in an offering 
would be the private placement memorandum, which is usually a 100-plus page document that tells you how all the ways you can lose your money that you're planning to invest. Second is the operating agreement, which shows who's in the the uh, general partnership, what's the pay payout pecking order, so who gets paid when, um, a bunch of other things. Uh, if anyone's familiar with an operating agreement for an LLC, then that's basically what it is. Same thing, the, yeah. Yeah. The third is the uh, investor qualifier or questionnaire. So questions that the, the investor answers that shows that they are qualified to invest in the deal. And fourth is a subscription agreement, which which states how many units they're subscribing to and basically a unit is a share in the the company um, for for that property. Outstanding. Now, listeners, I hope you caught that. I come across this a lot with people that call in and have questions. And, and these, this is an area where you don't want to cut corners. This is an area where you want to make sure that all your due diligence and all your homework is done and you're having these conversations up front. And then you use a legal professional and a tax professional to draw up these documents to make sure that everybody, number one, understands the opportunity and number two, um, that the due diligence has been done with each other so you understand exactly what you're getting into and then everything's on the up and up and there's no questions later because as you well know, but I'm not sure the listeners do, is there's consequences with the Securities and Exchange Commission and other regulatory bodies for not following, not playing by the rules. Yep, absolutely. But it's been my, my impression from what I've heard in the marketplace that the SEC, they're playing to win. So I wouldn't do the dance with them. They're like the IRS, but I think with uh, a little more clout, yes. <laughs> in my opinion. Now, we talk about equity, equity structures. You hear equity partners situations talked about all the time. And one question that comes up a lot from my listeners is, you know, if I come in and I put half a million dollars in your deal, for example, do I get paid every month like a loan or do I get paid annually or do I get paid at the end of five years when you cash me out? Or what is it? Is there such a thing as a typical structure in your opinion? In that regard, uh, you know, well, the the direct answer is, yeah, there's probably a typical structure um, and I will mention what that typical structure is. But let me let me go a little bit higher level and I'll say that it just depends on the deal and the the sponsor. So the the general partner who's putting the deal together and if you're the only five hundred thousand dollars in the deal or if you're maybe. Uh, 500 of a million dollars in the deal, then perhaps they'll structure it so that it fits more of what you're looking for um, versus what's typical. Uh, because it it could be structured in any number of ways. I mean, you could you could have a preferred return, which tends to be standard now, um, and a preferred return is uh, basically saying that the investor gets a portion of the cash flow first before uh, the general partnership gets any profits. And that's after all the expenses are paid uh, on the property, including the mortgage and uh, even a replacement reserve. And then you've got debt where you, know, you get a fixed rate uh, on, on the investment. Um, I tell you that the most common structure and the structure that we follow is a preferred return uh, and the preferred return can be anywhere from, I've seen 5% all the way up to 12%. Uh, the lower the preferred return, the uh, lower, I believe, 
the risk should be for that investment. So, for example, if it's ground up development, then I believe it should be 12%. Right. High return or high risk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the higher risk, uh, because you won't be getting that 12% over the first two years while they're building and then probably 10 more months after that while they're leasing it up. Uh, therefore, your returns going to be um, accrued until it, it can be paid, which is why it's a little bit higher than, say, buying a stabilized property that has a value-add component that's around 8%. Or if you're just buying a stabilized property or if the group's buying a stabilized property with no real business plan other than we buy it and we hold it, then it might be, say, a 5% return because you're just holding serve and you're not really doing much to it. Okay, that makes sense. So a new investor, they don't have, you know, your typical, they don't have much money. They've got 10, 15 grand in their pocket. They're not able to go in and, and buy a building on their own. It's just not in the in the spectrum and they want to they wanna do a syndication or, or do a deal. What, what could they bring to the table if they don't have the sufficient capital? Let's say they've only got 5, 10 grand to work with. They want to take down a... I don't know, hundred unit building. Uh, what can they? Is is it just a waste of their time to even bother, or is there something they could do? Can they partner up with people? What t- what can they bring to the deal? As far what if you're looking at a new investor like this, what could I'd they say, bring in? Yeah, I, I'd say the first question I'd have is is that 10k? Is it all you have, or is that 10k you've set aside for? investing. So let's just assume that it's 10k they've set aside for investing. Right. And and they've got, you know, enough to eat and got a little bit of a savings and things like that. So you've got 10k set aside for investing. Then the next question is do you want to be a multifamily syndicator? So do you want to buy a large building with investors and share in the profits? If so, and you've got 10,000 set aside to start, then the next question is what is your what is the story that you'll have for investors when they when you talk to them about your background and the team because if you are just starting out in real estate and you don't have a track record and you don't really have a good professional background then you're not you're high, it's highly unlikely you're going to be able to raise money uh, therefore i recommend that you um, take a different approach and you try to partner with someone and on the partnership. And I'll come back to if the answer is I have real estate experience or I have a good track record, but, uh, if you don't, then the partnership aspect would be, you go to someone who is doing deals, you ask them, what are they looking for? And then you go and try and find off market deals and um, in exchange for finding an off-market deal, and if someone buys it, it's likely that that individual will give you a fee, or if you can negotiate instead of the fee or a lower fee, you'll get in on the general partnership, albeit as teeny tiny as it likely will be. Um, at least you'll be able to say with a straight face that you're in on the general partnership of a large apartment community. So that's how you would do it if you have no experience, no track record. If you do have some experience and some track record, then the process is as follows. You would identify your goal of 
what is the monthly cash flow that you're looking for, um, then you would uh, start uh, underwriting properties to make sure that you know how to underwrite properties. So read as much as you can, listen to your podcast, listen to my podcast, read books, uh, and immerse yourself so that you know when a good deal comes across your desk. Then you identify one to two markets. Ideally, you start in your backyard because it's gonna, you're going to have a competitive advantage if you start closer where you can meet people and meet team members. Then once you identify your market, you uh, simply create the investor package for what you're up to. And that talks about your business plan, talks about the team members that you're bringing on board, talks about how you look at properties, what type of properties do you look at, what type of markets you look at, and you start building anticipation because the key is that you, you build anticipation with investors before you actually find the property because finding a property without having the money, unless you have a partnership lined up, like I mentioned earlier, is a character building experience. You don't <laughs> want to go through that. And I did that on my first deal. It was a mistake. Um, I recommend, and what I do now is I find the money first. I build anticipation with investors. That's why I have a podcast. I have, I wrote a book. I have a weekly newsletter. I mean, all that stuff. I'm on this show so I can build anticipation with investors first, have that relationship established, and then go find a deal now that I'm confident that I have the investor capital and my capital behind me to go close on something. That makes complete sense. Now, the last question I have for you, and, and this is another one that's real popular. What I try to do with the show is I, I talk to my audience on a regular basis. They talk to me. They send in questions, comments, whatnot. So when I bring a guest of, of your caliber on the show, I've got these, uh, these questions directly from the audience. And one of the big ones I get is, and is, at what point, where's the cutoff point? And what uh, the syndication model, does it make sense for smaller deals? And, or, and if not, at what point, in your opinion, is the cutoff? In other words, I'm, it doesn't, yeah. to me, make sense to go out and syndicate a, a duplex for $75,000. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's a really intelligent question. Uh, so props to your audience for coming up with that one. Uh, I'd say that the generally... 100 units. Well, okay. Now I, I think we don't, we can't look at it from a unit standpoint because in New York city, if there's a duplex, uh, which I mean, how many duplexes are there in New York city? Right. Probably like two, but in, in, at least in Manhattan, uh, you, you might have a price per unit of, I don't know, $2 million. <laughs> and, yeah, and so, so you, you can syndicate that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then you got a $4 million purchase price. And you're, it's looking like you, you could do a syndication. So I think, I think you look at the cutoff point being total dollars that are required for the deal. And then uh, do an analysis of, okay, it's going to cost me about 30000 for legal and um, inspections and, and uh, having the right team members. So knowing that that's 30000 plus timing, it takes about two to three weeks if the attorneys are on their A-game to get the, the private placement memorandum and those legal documents I mentioned. So if timing and, and the, uh, the cost can be wrapped into the deal and you're making money on the deal, then it would make sense for syndication. But 
for the most part on now I'm going to use a general de generalization for the most part deals under a hundred units in most of the country, you know, uh, anywhere that's not on the coast, basically that doesn't touch an ocean. Right. Um, although there are exceptions, anything under a hundred units, it won't make sense to do a syndication because the amount of time for you and cost for the project won't be able to be, uh, won't be a good uh, a return based on the amount that the property profit the property um, actually spits off. Right. So I, I would look at it that way. That makes yeah, that makes that's good advice. I'm glad you brought that up. Before we close, I, people want to reach out. They want to hear your podcast. What's the best way, or what, what's do you have a keyword search term, or they just search yeah, Joe Fairless, or what's the best way uh, to reach out to you? All, all you gotta do is go in the App Store and search Joe Fairless, and the app. Uh, there's a best real estate investing advice ever uh, app that will pop up, and just download that app. So just search my name, J O E F is in Frank A I R L E S S, and go to the App Store and search it, and you'll you'll find it and download the app. And you do have opportunities. I saw on your website where, granted, I do coaching as well, but you have, you, but mine is more broad. Yours is specific to syndication, raising capital, and apartment buildings. So if somebody wants to reach out to you and potentially see if they qualify for your program, is the best way to do that through your website? or? Yeah, yeah. The best way would be through the website. You can apply. Uh, I uh, take on about two new clients a month unlimited amount of my time so it's very time intensive and i have a step-by-step -step process that we walk we walk through together so just go to my website joe fairless and there's a work with joe section awesome joe thank you so much for taking the time today i know you're very busy and i really appreciate you taking the time to provide value to my listeners once again really enjoyed it my friend thanks a lot for having me tyler and thanks everyone and that's going to conclude this week's of the Cashflow Guys podcast. As a reminder, if you have not joined our Facebook group, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group, cashflowguys.com forward slash group. In there, you can interact with me and other guests that are on the show. If you have questions and more information, you want to get involved in one of our video chats that we are going to start doing on a more regular basis to get your questions answered right online, go to that link and uh, that will allow you to request membership to our group. If you want to get on the phone, you're having struggles every Friday. I give a 30-minute call session away. So just go to cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. Cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. That will give you 30 minutes on my schedule. We'll get on the phone, have a conversation, see what's what you're stuck with, and see if we can get you unstuck on any area involving real estate investing. Have a great week, and we will catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.